Chapter 9 of Snarled Identities. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Harvey. Snarled Identities by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 9. Chance Plays In to Gordon's Hands. The newspaper proprietor nodded gloomily in response to Gordon's question. Yes, he answered. Simpson disappeared four days ago. Has he a family? A wife. And she knows nothing about him, or profess to know nothing? I feel sure she's as much in the dark as we are. Perhaps, perhaps not, murmured the bogus detective, joining the tips of his fingers as he had seen Nick do. Please tell me now how the fellow managed to get hold of the money, to get it out of the bank or banks in which it had been deposited to the credit of the fund. Surely his wasn't the only signature required, was it? The checks drawn against the fund must have been countersigned by someone else. They were by Mr. Driggs, the vice president of our organization. Then how, in a very ingenious way, I wouldn't have thought John Simpson capable of so much adroitness. I was away at the time, but he prevailed upon Mr. Driggs to withdraw the fund from the New York banks in which it had been deposited, the Broadway Exchange Bank and the Hudson National, and to transfer everything to the Cotton and Wool National at Hattentown, thus making it possible to deal with only one bank and that a smaller one whose officials presumably were not so wary. Greeneye commented judicially. What excuse did he give? A most plausible one. He pointed out that the Hatton Town sufferers and the citizens generally would feel more comfortable, more sure of the reality of the fund, if they knew that it had been transferred to one of their local banks. We aren't ready to pay the money all over to them, he told Driggs. Most of them would like to have it all at once, of course, and they're somewhat dissatisfied, even though the more sensible among them realize that mere temporary relief isn't a solution to their problems. If we transfer the fund to Hattentown, however, that will encourage them. They will feel it is almost in their hands. Well, it looked like some sense, and Driggs agreed, with the result that every cent was withdrawn from the two New York banks. As you say, that made it much easier for the thief. Still, the task that remained would have seemed big enough to most men. In fact, they would have passed it up as impossible. Not so our old, reliable John Simpson, though, confound him. After plodding along, as methodically as any spiritless workhorse, for fifteen or eighteen years, he had suddenly developed a streak of lawlessness, and, along with it, in some unaccountable fashion, had come something approaching brilliancy of mind. The Hattentown Bank was now the custodian of the entire fund, less what had been paid out to the victims for their immediate necessities. As the disbursements amounted to a little less 
then 20,000. There was a balance of about 80,000 when the transfer took place. Naturally, Simpson then turned his attention to Hattentown. The cotton and wool bank there, so far as I've been able to ascertain, is a fair sample of hundreds of good, average, conservatively conducted institutions of the kind of our smaller cities. Apparently there was no rottenness of which Simpson could take advantage, and evidently he didn't waste time over that possibility. He seems to have felt himself quite capable of getting that money out by his own unaided efforts, and subsequent events prove that his confidence was far from misplaced. What did he do? Gordon urged eagerly. He was greatly interested, not from the standpoint of law and order, but from that of one criminal studying the work of another. He had been inclined at first to think that the fugitive would be easy to catch and easy to swindle out of the proceeds of the theft, but he was not so sure of that now. You would never guess in a hundred years, gentlemen, Griswold assured his two hearers. This is new to Cray, too, he added in explanation, addressing Gordon. I didn't cover this point when I explained matters to him. This is the way he worked it. After getting the money where he wanted it, he went to Driggs with another adroit idea, a suggestion for the publicity stunt this time. One of the smaller papers under my ownership, as you probably know, is published in Hattentown, the Hattentown Observer. Well, Simpson went to Driggs and proposed that the $80,000 be temporarily withdrawn from the bank in gold and exhibited under strong guard in the windows of the Observer office. See the point? He argued very convincingly that the site of so much money would create the greatest possible local sensation and give the people in Hattentown an exalted idea of the importance and power of the observer. Driggs offered certain objections, but Simpson argued them away without much trouble. As a matter of fact, I have no doubt but that I would have fallen for it as readily as Driggs did. The millionaire paused and smiled in a rather grim fashion. To tell the truth, I've actually adopted the suggestion, he informed them. $80,000 in gold is actually on exhibition at the present time in the windows of the Hattentown Observer, under the eyes of armed guards day and night. But Gordon had started to speak, but a gesture of Griswold's stopped him. Let me explain, the great newspaper owner hastened to say. The original fund has been stolen, but of course that fact is known only to a very few, including the officials of the Cotton and Wool Bank in Hattentown. We cannot afford to let the truth get out if we can possibly help it, for it would be a serious blow to the prestige of our organization. Therefore, I have duplicated the fund drawing on my private account for the purpose, and, as Simpson suggested, the money has been placed on exhibition. It's attracting an immense amount of favorable attention and will doubtless mean a great increase in circulation for the Hattentown Observer. We have that much 
to thank Simpson for, at any rate. Very extraordinary, murmured the supposed detective aloud. Better and better, he commented inwardly. I haven't any scruples to speak of, but it goes without saying that I'd rather relieve this hog of a millionaire of 80,000 than take it from a few hundreds of poor devils who have been cleaned out of everything. That money seems to be fatherless and waiting to be adopted. It was contributed to the fund, but the fund is now complete without it. It doesn't belong to Simpson, and Griswold doesn't need it. Obviously, it's mine, and I'm going to have it. But you haven't told us yet, he added, addressing his visitors, how the missing treasure actually got his hands on the money. The bank in Hattentown, naturally, wouldn't have turned any such amount over to a stranger. End of chapter 9. Recording by Paul Harvey.